Try new Diet Coke Twisted Strawberry. Okay, not very good. Let's try again. Um, how's about this? You're excited, but you're cold. Try new Diet Coke Twisted Strawberry. Yeah, okay. No one likes you at all. Let's see what that does. Try new Diet Coke Twisted Strawberry. Very good. There it is. <laughs> this is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back to The Morning Run and you're with Julian Ng, Wong Xiaoning and Sharats Abdullah. Coming up in about half an hour's time is The Breakfast Grill and uh, Xiaoning, you're going to speak to Juan uh, Azagjiri, who's CEO of the ASEAN Region for Principal Asset Management. Yeah, he's a Chilean native with 30 years of fund management experience and we're going to discuss the challenges and the outlook of the fund management industry with a little deeper dive on this uh, wave of merger and acquisitions. Okay, interesting. Stay tuned for that after the 8am news. Uh, The Breakfast Grill is happening. And uh, we have a poll running today as well. Do you think there should be penalties for not voting in the elections? And the options are yes, no, don't know, don't care. uh, Make sure you tell us why. And uh, go to our poll on uh, Twitter at BFM Radio. Now, last week marked the third anniversary of the Brexit referendum, and uh, we're still not close to any form of closure. While the UK is in process of figuring out who will be the next Prime Minister, the impact of Brexit is still too early to tell, and uh, there are some patterns uh, that are emerging according to the think tank in UK, a changing Europe uh, that is studying uh, its outcome. So to find out more about this, we speak to a senior fellow at the UK in a changing Europe, Professor Jonathan Potters, who's also a professor of economics and public policy at King's College. Good morning, Professor. What is your current assessment of the Brexit impact on the UK? Um, Well, in economic terms, Brexit has not had the disastrous results that some people forecast, um, but it has had um, a significant uh, and broadly negative impact. So uh, the immediate uh, results of the Brexit referendum led to a very sharp fall in the pound, which in turn pushed up inflation and led to a reduction in real wages and uh, in economic growth. So that did some damage. Um, But there wasn't a panic in financial markets. Um, And on the whole, the economy, and especially the labor market, has held up quite quite reasonably. There's been no recession as yet. Um, So the estimates are that overall, Brexit has probably hit the UK economy to the tune of about 1% to 2%. since uh, since the vote. Now, of course, Brexit has not happened yet. Uh, uh, so, uh, uh, so that in itself only tells you the impact of the uncertainty that has been caused by the vote rather than any um, actual changes in policy. Of course, the Brexit, the impact of Brexit on British politics has been much more severe and we are still in a political crisis um, which began immediately after the Brexit vote and shows no sign of ending at all. And speaking of impact, you have a report that rates performance in four areas, the economy and public finances, fairness, openness, as well as control. Now, which which of these areas have seen the most significant impact? Um, Well, on the economy, the impact has been uh, significant and negative, but not, I would say, huge. Um, I think perhaps the uh, um, most interesting impact is on openness, where although policy has not changed, we have seen a very sharp reduction in immigration from EU member states to the UK, as well as some increase in immigration from non-EU states to the member uh, uh, to the UK. So the UK has become, um, in practice, quite a lot less open to immigration from other Europeans, although somewhat more open to immigration from outside Europe. Um, we've also seen 
quite a large fall in uh, investment, both foreign investment and uh, uh, to some extent domestic investment. I mean, an increase in money flowing out of the country uh, to invest in Europe, uh, as well as um, not uh, uh, any greater in increase in exports. So there has been quite a big impact on Britain's uh, external economic relationships with the rest of the world. Um, on fairness, I think the really disappointing thing is that we've seen very little impact. One of the hopes of many people was that the Brexit vote would lead to a refocusing of political and economic attention in the UK on some of the issues that led indirectly to the Brexit vote, inequality, uh, regional uh, divergences between London and the rest of the country, and so on. Um, but really there, nothing has happened. In fact, we may have gone backwards on some of these things then, and that's a big disappointment. What are your key takeaways from the report? Um, there is a very strong consensus among economists that the UK will be worse off um, as a result of Brexit. Uh, that doesn't mean we, the economy will actually shrink necessarily, but we will be somewhat worse off than we otherwise would have been. Growth would have been slower. Um, now, uh, there's a huge amount of uncertainty about how big those impacts will be for two reasons. First of all, we don't know what sort of Brexit we're going to have. Certainly, no deal Brexit would have much more serious uh, economic impacts than a uh, what is called a soft Brexit, where we preserve most of our trading links with the European Union. Um, and of course, there's a lot of uncertainty in any economic projections and forecasts anyway. So um, it's very difficult to put figures on this, and the uh, the estimates vary widely uh, from a small da uh, small damage to the UK economy of perhaps one or two percent of GDP to a much more significant hit of, over time, up to 8 or 10% of GDP, depending on the nature of Brexit, uh, what happens after Brexit, and, of course, given the uncertainty in forecast. So the bottom line is that um, it's quite likely that Brexit will have a damaging impact on the UK economy. But there's a huge amount of uncertainty uh, about how large that will be, and that depends very much on the political and economic choices we make um, over the next year or two in particular. Now, uh, what are your thoughts on the future PM? Um, well, it looks highly likely, if not certain, the next PM will be Boris Johnson. Um, and uh, that is uh, um, an, both a, an indicator of the depth of political crisis we're in, since I think there is a general consensus, even among conservative MPs, let alone the country, that in many ways Boris Johnson has some personal characteristics which do not particularly suit him well for being prime minister. He was certainly a, um, a failure, as, as everyone knows, as, as foreign secretary, and he has a degree of um, opportunism and inconsistency, which uh, I don't think most people, regardless of their political views, think is a great characteristic for a prime minister. So the fact that he is the, the leading candidate, I think, tells you something about the political crisis we're in. Um, but also, of course, going forward, um, he has made himself a leading candidate by being a proponent, effectively, of a uh, of a no-deal Brexit. Uh, now, whether that will actually happen or not uh, depends, because it's not clear that there will be a parliamentary majority for that. Um, but it means that we are heading into a period of, of, of crisis and uncertainty. 
And that was Jonathan Portis, Professor of Economics and Public Policy at the School of Politics at King's College in London. Uh, actually, I find it a very surprising prognosis because uh, there is no panic yet. And while he's saying that the economic impact is significant, we're not seeing the, the kind of like implosion as some of the Remainers are talking about. Yeah, I'm surprised the pound is actually not weaker than it currently is. And despite the property market having gone down quite significantly and you do have news of like the major banks uh, moving their headquarters out of uh, London to, let's say, uh, Germany or Netherlands, uh, markets actually seem rather resilient uh, in UK. Mm. But of course, I think maybe the tough part is yet to come when they actually get down to like discuss the nitty-gritty of the deals and the things like common borders. Yeah, and what's interesting is also that concern over immigration. Now, as much as yeah, they are less open at the moment, uh, they are seeing, well, I guess, bigger number of non-EU uh, sorry EU, uh, immigrants not coming into the UK, but instead they are a uh, bigger number in terms of uh, those who are coming from the non-EU countries instead. Okay, the other news is uh, talking about England and all things. The UK Uber is going to s- uh, soon face a fiercer competition in London from India's Ola. Ola has just been given a license to operate in London. It will launch its, its service in uh, September. Yeah, so the Transport for London has given Ola about a 50 months license. It would have to seek renewal in October 2020, though. Uh, comp- Competition in London uh, taxi market has been intensifying for the past year, and you know other companies like Captain, Via Van, and Bolt they have also entered the market to take on Uber. But Ola would be the biggest new entrant since Uber. Now, Ola shares a key similarity with Uber in that it also counts SoftBank as one of its biggest investors. It has raised three point eight billion US dollars since it was founded in twenty eleven, and as of May twenty nineteen, it was valued about six point two billion dollars. Now in India, Ola, Ola has a lead over Uber. Globally, it has 1.5 million drivers. So I think this is very interesting because uh, this is part of the long hand of SoftBank's vision fund, right? Uh, they bought into Uber and Grab. And while uh, the introduction of, <clears throat> excuse me, the introduction of a new entrant in London would promote competition, which is positive for consumers, uh, you can't help but think whether there is a carve out by SoftBank, which is what they did in Asia, uh, uh, represented by the exit of Uber out of Asia, right? So now we just have a Grab in Southeast Asia and uh, in China, you have uh, Kwai Sing, who's who's now the main player over there. Well, I don't know whether they'll do the same thing. Launch Ola there, then eventually close it down, right? And then in the end, that Uber gets this even bigger market share from whatever Ola has created. Well, it'll be interesting to see because this uh, e-hailing thing is, is, for all companies, still not profitable. That's right. Yeah, I, I mean, if you go for that kind of old-fashioned thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm it's an old-fashioned right? investor, Julian. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, uh, just to bring it back home, whether or not, um, you know, we, we see other companies going into these countries like England, in, I mean, in London, whether or not now they with with the new regulation that is going to come into place, whether they are going to be e-hailing, more e-hailing companies coming into Malaysia. Yeah, I think in London, uh, it, it would be hard to do a carve-out because you attract the scrutiny of regulators who will accuse you of monopolistic practices, especially in such an international city like London. All right, uh, coming back uh, from uh, with local news, and uh, we'll look at the uh, local player for e-hailing in Malaysia, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.